Maggie Ullman is just several months into her first term on the Asheville City Council, but she has worked inside and alongside government for many years, largely in sustainability and addressing climate change. This city council, in the 20 years I've been watching city council, is so much closer together on what we want to accomplish than I've ever seen a city council in Asheville. And that gives us a lot of opportunity to find the specific focused places to get impact. I'm Matt Pikin. Yesterday's episode of The Overlook featured my conversation with city councilwoman Kim Roney. Maggie Ullman represents a contrast both in her history leading to her run for council and her unwaveringly positive approach on the dais. We talk about her emphasis on what she calls finding the flow, working to build coalitions, and the issues that matter to her most as the council is setting the city's next budget. They say to never buy a used car without really looking under the hood. Jennifer Thomas says the same goes for real estate. Jennifer is a licensed geologist in Asheville who thrives on digging up the dirt. If you're investing in commercial property, call Jennifer first. She'll conduct phase one environmental assessments, investigate the ground for contamination, and oversee any necessary cleanup. For details on what Jennifer brings to the table and to the land, go to LLC. C.com. That's J-E-N-N-T-E-C-L-L-C.com. Maggie Ullman served as the City of Asheville's Sustainability Director before running for City Council. I asked what she learned about how Council operates during her time on that job that inspired her to run for a seat. I learned that we could get shit done, that it's actually possible, that like our city had set climate goal to reduce the city's carbon footprint 2% per year. Within three years of being on the job, we were so effective, the council at that time doubled the goal because we needed to push harder and further. Within several years, I went from a budget of $0 to a million dollars, and that million dollars came from energy savings. (laughs) We, like, did the energy efficiency work we all knew would do good things for the climate, and it saved us so much money that I was able to then use those savings to invest in even more projects and programs and feeling what actually like progress and impact towards your goal. It's so inspiring and it's possible. It's really possible here. And there's just countless experiences I had, not only in the program I led around climate change, but with my peers across city hall when I was on staff, there's so much good work happening. And a lot of it's unseen and a lot of it's unsexy and there's challenges and we could be better. Yes. But being part of someone who wakes up every day and your job is to make the city better and make people more hopeful about being part of it and find ways for people to contribute. It's just a joy. So that addresses the things that that were working well for the city and the Mm -hmm. successes. And you seemed like uh, that the work you were doing and that the city was doing in that regard were exceeding expectations. Where were the holes and why did you feel you were the person to at least help to be a member on city council who can make a difference? My experience in city hall taught me that what type of community we want to be isn't the hard part. How we're going to get there is the hard part. We live in a state where the state legislature ties cities' hands behind our back. We also live in a city that even though we have a heart and vision for a global city, we can only afford to have a potluck. Right. So we don't have tons of resources. We have the state 
making it really hard for us to meet our vision. And so the type of leader I am is that creative problem solver, using all that technical context of state and local policy to really get creative on how we're going to do something. And my ability as a staff person to start with a budget of zero, invest in projects to save money, to propel funding that program forward. In the time I was leading the sustainability department, we reduced the city's carbon footprint 18%. We can get stuff done, but it's not necessarily that we need 50 million more policies telling us what to do for climate change or affordable housing. We need really creative leaders who are going to put a lot of work into figuring out how we go there. And I think that's part of who I am. From your vantage as a newcomer, is the city council doing that kind of hard work? Absolutely. There's kind of two layers. There's the roll up our sleeves as leaders, but there's also finding the places where we can build coalition and consensus amongst ourselves. Because we are a body that if you are one vote, that does not make policy. You need to come together. There's seven of us on council, and I've been there four months, and the rest of them have all been there at least one or more years. What I'm seeing is that we're actually much more aligned on the strategic priorities for the city than it might feel. We all want affordable housing. We all want folks to feel safe. We all want our community to be resilient and our neighborhoods to be safe. So what I find really hopeful is that this city council in the 20 years I've been watching city council is so much closer together on what we want to accomplish than I've ever seen a city council in Asheville. And that gives us a lot of opportunity to find the specific focused places to get impact. In the past, we've had multiple political parties on city council and agreeing that a local government priority to invest in affordable housing was not a given, right? That's hard work to get a community and leadership to say, oh no, that's definitely a priority. And we have people like Holly Jones and Gordon Smith to thank for carving some of that path in the past. So now that we're there, leadership saying we want affordable housing, that's not specific enough to really make progress and dig in and roll up our sleeves. So we're at a place that we can roll up our sleeves and say, how, what are the strategies we want to go there? And so the city council retreat we had earlier this month allowed us to go that next level. Okay. Affordable housing. We're all in agreement. That's spectacular. That's harder than it sounds for many communities to actually have consensus around. Now, what's the next level so that we can really focus towards moving towards that impact? And we'll be hearing in the next month from city staff really bringing back the specific goals and targets that we started working on at the retreat so that we can really now have focused targets to move forward towards as a political body. Did the retreat focus primarily on goals or were there methodologies around that? Were there specific strategies that came out of your retreat? It was more around goals. And I think that's appropriate for an elected body. We talk a lot about the difference between being on the dance floor and being on the balcony. As a political body, we are on the balcony. We need to see a bigger picture. We have 1,200 amazing city employees that wake up every day and spend their life, their career, coming up with the strategies, implementing, executing, designing. And so council needs to be able to inform some of the high-level strategy, but we aren't the ones to say, if we're going to have an affordable housing goal, the number should be 3,700. We don't have the knowledge, nor does the public, the professionals who are 
in the depth of the information need to come back in. It needs to be an interplay between the dance floor and the balcony. So we focus mostly on goals, but as we get more precise goals, that will allow us to have conversations about what high-level strategies we also need. Were these goals set mindful of the shadow or the specter of what limits there are on the city You alluded to how the state at the legislative level really handcuffs what municipalities can do. Are these goals that you came up with reflective of that or are they ambitious goals? I think they're both. I think that what I would say is anytime you have new elected folks, it takes a while to get up on speed, up to speed on what kind of the container we're kept in by state legislature. And what we're really lucky with now is that me as the only newcomer, six folks have been at this for quite some time. My, my other councilwomen have been doing this a long time. So they have already climbed up that context learning curve. And then myself, having spent seven years in City Hall in the past, I have an extra ordinary amount of knowledge compared to some other folks since I worked in this place. So I think we all are starting with really understanding what that context is while still being ambitious to lead us forward. I'm excited about seeing what the interplay is between the council wrestling with big policy conversations, the boards and commissions wrestling with policy conversations and those intersecting. I think sometimes we aren't working towards the same things and it would just be so much better if we all rode in the similar direction. That's why I think goals can be really instructive because then we can all say, hey, here's some shared goals. We're going to work on it from our side. You work on your side. Let's reconvene. What have you learned? It's been four months, you said, that you've been on council. (laughs) And you've been around council. You've been going to meetings. You've been on committees and boards that advised council. What have you learned as a member of council that you didn't quite know before? What's different sitting in the chair? That's such a great question. I'm going to answer your question through a different way. So what it's felt like so far is that I got elected with the support of 25,000 of our citizens saying, you can do this, let's do this. And then I got appointed and then I jumped in the middle of a river and I tried to stand up. You ever try to stand up in the middle of a river? What Mm -hmm. happens? You get knocked over, you you slip on algae, you bust your face. It's just, that's what it's almost felt like. And no one's pushing me over. But what I'm learning now is that the job of this is not to stand up in the middle of a river. Why would you do that? The job is to find the flow, figure out what paths are going to take you towards the policy that we need or the outcomes we want, and figure out who's already in that flow line and how to collaborate and how to work with those people. And so the question you asked is, what have I learned already? And I would say there's so many people doing such good work all across our community. And so what I'm getting insight into just how many Asheville'ans love this town and believe in its possibility. And so I'm continuing to learn who else is there, who else wants to collaborate, where that work is, where that energy is. Hannah Cole is an Asheville artist and accountant and the founder of Sunlight Tax. She has all kinds of free resources on her website, including a podcast called Sunlight. Hannah serves up practical advice in short episodes about taxes and shaping how people in creative fields think about business. It is about tax and money issues for, I like to say, visionary creators. So people who are doing care work, healing work, and creative work. People who are driven by a passion and not just for money. To me, people doing that creative work are changing the world for the better. We're the empathy muscle of our culture. 
Sunlight ranks in the upper tier of entrepreneurship podcasts on the iTunes chart. Go to your favorite podcast outlet and find Sunlight with Hannah Cole and go to sunlighttax.com for all the other resources Hannah offers, including details on her money boot camp. I'm relatively new to Asheville. I moved here in 2017. And I've lived in other cities where city councils, the members represent geographic areas and districts. We are not one of those city councils. We did that briefly, but it is no longer. So there was like a year or two where we had districts. Since all seven of you are tasked with representing the city at large, is that more challenging in a way when you don't have it as a defined constituency, you know, that you're all overlapping and ostensibly representing the same 90 plus thousand people. I'm wondering, is that a better way from your vantage point, just from your vantage point, is it better to have it without these districts? To be at large versus district. Yeah, yeah. So there's different ways to offer representation. In our form where there's seven of us and we're all at large, we all serve 94,000 people. That's one method. In smaller cities, that is a very common method. And then when you do districts, different neighborhoods have different priorities, different flavors, different pressures, different challenges. And so you get that geographic focus and then you scale up to even bigger cities and then you get content constituencies, people who really want to talk to the public works director who's a political appointee because they are vested in streets and roads and infrastructure. And so you have political leaders who are representing the different types of work a city does. And they're all just really different. Yeah, I was just wondering if... The at-large nature of it can potentially leave certain neighborhoods out when you could have, for instance, of the seven seats, three people from North Asheville or two from Montford. And where are the people from the Burton Street area or some other neighborhoods? I don't know that we lack that geographic diversity now. I don't know where everybody lives. I'm just curious if you see that as an issue. I think any form has a risk of leaving people out. The the fact that there's 94,000 humans being represented by seven, and that's a level of representative democracy that we've landed on, that has its challenges. I think that's also why we have things like boards and commissions, because there's more and more people contributing to the policy thinking. I think that there's also risks that we see. I came from a meeting this morning with the director of North Carolina Common Cause, and the current state legislature is coming for voting rights. They're coming for making sure that we have IDs in the 2024 election. There's a lot of stuff, and they're coming for redistricting. And so anytime you introduce districting, there is a philosophical idea around it and then a practical idea within our political context. And when we had districts before, they were not because our community asked for it. It's because Republican leaders from outside of our community imposed it upon us. Mm. And so there's real risks anytime you open a districting table of who draws those maps to what advantage. And so I think there is a purity that I appreciate in the philosophy of having more representation for people that I hear you playing with or arguing for. And the real risk and the pragmatism of it is that someone's going to have to draw those maps and will fairness be at the heart of it. And in our state, we would not be drawing our own maps. Even in a city, like the city of Asheville's map, the state would draw the city of Asheville's district. That is what happened to us when we had districting within the last decade.
I wasn't necessarily championing it. I was just yeah. posing it as a philosophical question. Yeah. You just mentioned a little bit ago that you've you've come to a place of learning to go with the flow of the river and not standing up in the river. And I'm wondering if you see your role on city council in any way being the person who's holding up the headlight to point in a certain direction. Absolutely. Are there, talk about that. That's one where I really would love to talk to you in another year. I know because I'm doing a lot of learning and listening right now. I spent February having one-on-one -on -one meetings with every department director in the city. I had, I personally knocked on 2,000 doors during the campaign. I've been doing a lot of listening, but I also need to get clarity on where the biggest need and the biggest real feasibility and opportunity is. There's such limited time, effort, will to do things, being very surgical and strategic and pragmatic about where to put the most effort is important to me. And so what I will say is that climate leadership is who I am. It's who I've always been. And so I'm really looking forward with us having passed the municipal climate action plan two days ago to really figuring out where we're pointing the flashlight to go even further on that. I know that we will not have the Asheville that is fair that we deserve if the market continues to be in charge of housing prices. The market's in charge and it's running us out of town and it's not okay. I'm not okay living in a community that has a geographic line built around wealth of who gets to live here anymore. That's not our right for me. So I will have a lot of leadership towards that. And the other place that I know I'm very focused on is around our core city services. There's a lot of need and our fundamental services. We got to pick up your trash and recycling. We got to make sure that your roads and sidewalks are paved. We need to make sure your water is reliable and clean. And I know that focusing on things of that nature is where I see real potential for me to help the team even more than we already have good work going on. What's something you would want the community to pay particular attention to? What are your priorities with this budget? My first priority is to learn from what it's like on this side of the table. I think being a learning leader is really important and being a humble leader is very important. And this is my first time being part of the decision-making body. And I think that we are looking at really concerning turnover in city staff. Could you imagine doing your job with one hand tied behind your back with half of your skills, half of your time? That's what we're asking most of our departments to do right now. I don't have the data specific, but we need to really make sure that we're aggressively supporting, maintaining, retaining, and hiring phenomenal staff. And with the cost of living wage going up in our community, I think we're going to see a big portion of the, the push that we make from a policy standpoint be to make sure that we're being competitive with wages and paying just and fair wages. We can't raise wages out of thin air. Where would this money come from? We are looking at between a 7 to $9 million surplus from increased tax revenue. And a $200 million budget, it's not massive. But yeah, right. it's an incremental growth for sure. And that's since the last recession in the late aughts, we generally continue to have revenue growth, tax-based growth. Are we looking at rising property taxes continually? That is not a conversation I've been part of looking towards next year. I've been here since 2000. I moved here when I was 18 years old. Asheville's been through a lot of changes. The world has been through a lot of changes. Cities are changing a lot. And I know that a lot of us feel the tension right now in our community. A lot of us are struggling in our community. It's a hard place to be for many people. 
I hope that we can all lean towards each other in the direction of hope because when leaders unite us by stoking our fears, we are not better off. And so I'm really excited to be joining a council where I think a lot of us really want to be moving towards the hopeful Asheville that we can be. I want to thank my guest today, City Councilwoman Maggie Ullman, for today's conversation. Today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which owners Susan and Giles Collard have been so gracious enough to open to me to record my interviews. Our theme music for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. Before I let you go, I want to let you know we're giving away two pairs of tickets to the rest of the Magnetic Theater's productions for 2023. To be eligible, just sign up for our weekly newsletter at podavl.com. Also, please vote for The Overlook as Best Podcast and for me as your favorite radio host in Mountain Express's Best of WNC survey. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.